0: The Alliance of Confessing Evangelicals presents the timeless teaching of Dr. Donald Gray Barnhouse.
1: There is a form of insanity which causes a patient to think that he is someone else. It's a sad and tragic thing for a person to be thus insane. But it is far more tragic for a person to imagine that he is saved and is going to be in heaven if he has not really been born again. We are told that we must give diligence to make our calling and election sure. Do you have a carnal insanity that makes you think that you are right with God if you have not trusted his son, the Lord Jesus, as your savior?
0: The message we'll be featuring on today's edition of Dr. Barnhouse and the Bible is entitled, Life and Peace. In his famous hymn, O for a Thousand Tongues to Sing, Charles Wesley exalted the name of Jesus by writing, "'Tis music in the sinner's ears, tis life and health and peace." Unfortunately, our Christian walk often seems lifeless, weak and sickly, and filled with turmoil and restlessness. How can we experience the abundant life and all-surpassing peace that comes from daily intimate fellowship with the Lord? The scripture text for this edition of Dr. Barnhouse and the Bible, Romans chapter 8 and verses 5 and 6. Here again is Dr. Donald Gray Barnhouse with a message entitled, Life and Peace.
1: Through the Lord Jesus Christ, we come to the Our Father and Our God and in the Holy Spirit. Only through the death of thy son can a sinner approach thy holy throne. But we thank thee that thou hast made it possible for us to come with holy boldness by the new and living way, even to thee. We ask thee in this hour that thou shalt bless the truth to each listening heart and use it to thine honor and glory. For we ask it in the name and for the sake of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. We are studying in Romans 8, and I quote today from the 5th and 6th verses, They that are after the Spirit do mind the things of the Spirit, for the mind of the Spirit is life and peace. The ideal Christian life is now set before us in our study, and some of its fruits are shown to us. There have been those who give a categorical interpretation to these words, and who say that a person is not a Christian, if they are not minding the things of the Spirit. Let me admit at once that there are some verses which speak in uncompromising terms of the life of the believer. If we possessed only those verses, we would be forced to conclude that there are very, very few people who are saved. The terms which describe the actions of the follower of Christ are such that it would appear that every believer would be living such an outstanding Christian life that there could never be any doubt whatsoever as to the presence of the life and power of the Lord within. But there is another line of teaching addressed to those who have believed, which shows them to be far, far removed from the high position which is set forth in the first set of verses. We are told that the believer is out of the world and is abiding in Christ. But in the next paragraph, The word comes to the believer, love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. Paul tells the Colossians that they are saints and faithful in Christ and have their hope laid up in heaven. And then he prays that they might walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing. He tells them that they are complete in Christ, identified with him in his redemptive work. And then he tells them to seek those things which are above he tells them that they are dead and that their life is hid with Christ in God. And then he tells them that they should put to death their members which are on the earth. It would be possible to bring 50 such illustrations from the epistles. Now I'm convinced that our text in Romans must be understood in this light. They that are after the Spirit do mind the things of the Spirit. Yes, but The last several chapters of the epistle will be a detailed call for them to live lives of holiness. And the practical teachings will cover every phase of Christian living. And it is to people who have become children of God in Corinth and who are in the spirit that he says, And I, brethren, he could never have called an unsaved man brother. I, brethren, could not speak unto you as unto spiritual but unto carnal, even as unto babes in Christ. They were brethren, they were in Christ, even though they were babes. And we know that if any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. Now the explanation, I believe, lies in the fact that God recognizes that the new birth is followed by babyhood, that babyhood is followed by childhood, and that childhood is followed by maturity. There is growth. In the Christian life. God wants every believer to have his eyes fixed upon the spiritual maturity, which is the goal of the Christian life, and to continue in that process of growth which he desires for us. For we are left here upon the earth in order that we may be witnesses for Christ, and in the process he is forming Christ in us that we might be conformed to the image of his son. Now, our text sets before us the goal, the ideal in the Christian life. And everyone who has the spirit of Christ will see it from afar at least and must move toward it. The argument is one of contrast. It's a divine commentary on the words of Christ to Nicodemus. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of the spirit is spirit. All of us by nature are born of the flesh, and even after we have passed through the new creation, the flesh is still within us. The analogy is a beautiful one. Just as we have received our bodies in the course of nature from our earthly parents, so we have received our new life from God in regeneration. Do you know that you have received that divine life? Do you know it? There is a form of insanity which causes a patient to think that he is someone else. He imagines himself to be Napoleon or some other figure. It's a sad and tragic thing for a person to be thus insane. But it is far more tragic for a person to imagine that he is saved and is going to be in heaven if he has not really been born again. We are told that we must give diligence to make our calling and election sure. Do you have a carnal insanity that makes you think that you are right with God if you have not trusted his Son, the Lord Jesus, as your Savior? The most important fact in this world is for you to know that you are the present possessor of eternal life through Jesus Christ. That knowledge is yours only through the Word of God, objectively, and through the presence of the Holy Spirit within bearing witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And as soon as we have that life, it must begin to transform our character. For the character of an unsaved man is that he minds the things of the flesh. The character of the ideal child of God is that he minds the things of the spirit. Little by little, the whole being is stamped with the presence of that new life. The process is one of weaning. The child no longer draws his life from the things of the flesh, but from the spirit. It is a process which touches every phase of being so that spirit, soul, body, mind, affections, desires, aims, ambitions, pleasures, companionships, loves, tastes, and all the motions of life become marked with the presence of the indwelling Holy Spirit. There is a passage in the first epistle to the Corinthians which sheds much light on our text. The things which are called the things of the Spirit in our text in Romans are called the things of God in a most luminous passage in Corinthians. We read, I hath not seen nor ear heard, neither have entered into the heart of man the things which God hath prepared for them that love him. But God hath revealed them unto us by his Spirit. For the Spirit searcheth all things, yea, the deep things of God. For what man knoweth the things of a man, save the spirit of man which is in him? Even so the things of God knoweth no man but the Spirit of God. Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit which is of God that we might know the things that are freely given to us of God. Now, the key phrase in this passage is that God hath revealed them unto us. I once heard an evangelist use the first part of this text as a sermon on heaven. And I dare say that this text has nothing to do with the doctrine of heaven or the things which we shall see and know there. This verse is talking about the things of God, the things of the Spirit which we are to mind and which are given to us now in the divine revelation of the Word of God and which are to be fulfilled in our life by the work of the Holy Spirit. The argument is that spiritual things are not perceived in the same fashion that the eye perceives the world around us. By photons of light striking the rods and cones Of the retina of our eyes spiritual things come to us by the spirit spiritual things do not enter our minds as sounds enter our ears bringing to us the logic and the arguments of our professors as they teach us the things of the laboratory and the classroom spiritual things come to us by the spirit and spiritual things are not conceived as the human brain develops a concept establishes a theorem and draws a conclusion. Spiritual things come to us by the Spirit. Now, the whole of the Christian life is a divine revelation. We know that we have been saved only because the Holy Spirit gives us the whole picture. We know what we have been saved from because he tells us the truth of our lost condition and reveals the depths of the abyss into which Adam took us in the fall. We know what we have been saved to, only because the Holy Spirit teaches us in the Word the heights which God has formed for us. There is no phase of Christian thinking that belongs to the natural man. Our faith is supernatural from beginning to end, and every part of it comes to us by a divine revelation. Perhaps I can throw some light upon it by a comparison which might seem absurd to some, but which has truth in every part of the analogy. Two men, each accompanied by a dog, meet along a road in the country. The men start to talk, and the dogs touch noses and begin to communicate dog fashion with each other. Perhaps they have some way of telling each other that there is a rabbit trail over in the bushes, and they romp off together. They come back to their masters, and their dog ears hear the sounds of the conversation that is taking place, but they haven't the slightest knowledge of the meaning, whether the men are talking about atomic physics or the price of corn by the bushel. Now, what dog knoweth the things of a dog except by the nature of the dog that is within him? Even so, the things of a man knoweth no dog, but only the spirit of man can understand them. Now, if we take those phrases and set them down on top of the verse from Corinthians, we can understand our relationship with God. For just as a dog may understand a dog, but cannot understand a man, so a man may understand another man, but can never understand God. If it were possible for a surgeon to remove the brain of a dog from his head and to substitute a human brain, and to connect every nerve and join every neuronic pattern, then it's conceivable that a dog could understand all that a man said to him, whether the man talked about atomic physics or the price of a bushel of corn. Now, the amazing truth of the word of God is that in the redemption which has been given to us in Christ, this miracle is performed in every believer. When we are born again, the Spirit places the life of God within us. This is why the new birth is such a miraculous thing. If any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. An entire life, which is the life of God, is planted within the believer as truly as though the Lord had opened the case of his cranium and planted within him an entirely new brain. From that moment, there is the process of of connecting up the ends of the new life and joining them to the severed ends of the old life so that the believer begins to mind the things of the Spirit instead of the things of the flesh. As life goes on, this process must increase until the believer is increasingly dominated by the Holy Spirit. He that hath begun a good work in you will keep on perfecting it until the day of Jesus Christ. Now, this process of increasing domination by the life of the Spirit is here called the minding of the things of the Spirit. We must give some attention to this word mind, for it is the first time we find it in our epistle, though it will come before us nine times more, making ten usages in Romans, beside other usages in other epistles. To mind the things of the Spirit is to set our affection upon the divine things that have come to us through the divine revelation. This is the same word that is used in Colossians. If ye then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ sitteth at the right hand of God. Set your affection on things above, and not on things on the earth. For ye are dead, and your life is hid with Christ in God. The three English words set affection on, are used to translate the same word which is found in our text as mind. It is the direction of life that is being placed before us. We are to set sail on our journey, and the course is to be plotted. the itinerary is to be determined. The nine other usages of the verb in Romans will be found in the end chapters, where the details of Christian living are set forth. We will be told there that we are not to think more highly of ourselves than we ought to think, but that we are to think soberly. Now, it's the same Greek word, think of. We are told to be of the same mind one toward another and are commanded to mind not high things. It's the same Greek word. The word is found four times in one verse. Where there is a description of two men who regard or who do not regard one day above another and who do so as unto the Lord. And Paul prays that the believers receive from the God of patience and consolation the gift of being like-minded. As we study these passages carefully and all the other passages where the word is found elsewhere, we arrive at the conclusion that there are two roads And that we are being told to walk with determination down the road of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus. The positiveness of our text would indicate that anyone who has the new way of life must live that life, must walk the road of spiritual things, must have the affections set on things above and not on things on the earth. As I have been studying the ramifications of this subject I have been struck by the recurring use of the word things, things, things. It astonished me somewhat to find it in so many places. For in my thinking throughout all of my life, I have been taught to avoid collective words that really indicate that a person is not the master of his vocabulary. Many words have come into our language because people do not push their minds to find the right word and the exact phrase. Certain things become gadgets or thingamajigs or sentences trail off with uh, et etc. Now I have held a disciplinary rod over my mind in such matters and have pushed myself to be specific. It was because of this that I was somewhat puzzled when I realized how many times the word things was being used by the Holy Spirit In presenting this teaching to us, the things of the flesh, the things of the spirit are found in our text. And in the Corinthian passage we have quoted, we find the things of a man and the things of God, all things, and the deep things of God. We find that these are the things that are freely given to us of God, that the natural man receiveth not the things of the spirit, but that he that is spiritual judgeth all things. Now, in Colossians, we're exhorted to seek those things which are above, to set our affection on things above and not on the things which are on the earth. It will not be difficult to extend this list. I think the explanation lies in the fact that while the great central truths are the same for all men, and the life of the Spirit carries all believers in the same general direction, God is so diverse in his dealings with all his children that no two of us pass through the same experiences. I am beginning to believe that I have a different concept of the things of God than anyone else, and that every believer has his own experience of these divine things. When we understand this, we will be very hesitant about judging any other man, but we will learn that the Lord is leading each individual in ways that are his own forming Christ in us, within the boundaries of our own responsibility, exalting himself by the great diversity of his dealings with us. Our text ends with the declaration that to be spiritually minded is life and peace. It is the promise of triumph and calm while we go on through this earthly life. It is God's way of telling us that earthly existence can be heavenly life, even now, while we wait for his time to join us to himself. Now, a comparison of translations is interesting at this point. We read, those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. To set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. Thus, the RSV, while the confraternity translation gives us The inclination of the spirit is life and peace. Sigon translates it, those who live according to the spirit have affection for the things of the spirit, and this affection is life and peace. Weymouth says, if men comply with their spiritual nature, their thoughts are shaped by the spiritual and thoughts shaped by the spiritual mean life and peace. The spiritual attitude reaches out after the things of the spirit, says Phillips. This attitude means life and inward peace. Life rather than existence. This is the promise of God to the believers. Anyone who has stepped out of the will of God knows how terrible the unsurrendered walk can be. How tedious and tasteless the hours. In view of the greatness of the promise, is it not a terrible appraisal of the old Adamic nature that its pull is so great that the unwary are drawn to death and unrest instead of to life and peace? Rutherford wrote on this verse, Take heed that we do not lower the state and standard of the child of God to suit our own ideas. The more fully we apprehend what Christ has done for us, the more we shall walk after the Spirit. Before a man is born of the Spirit, he is tied and bound with the chains of the flesh. But now he is at liberty. He is made willing, translated out of darkness into life. And with the gladness of a free heart, he walks with God. It is not because he so walks that he is according to the Spirit, but because he is according to the Spirit, he so walks. The man in whom the Spirit of God dwells delights in the things of God, the bent of his mind after these things, because the man has the spirit. Having noted that the same Greek word as the verb in our text was used in a later passage of Paul in this epistle, I cried to the Lord, now the God of patience and consolation grant us to have our minds set on the things of the spirit. And it is thus we pray, our God, there is none like unto thee. We worship thee and rejoice in thy faithfulness. Wilt thou bless the truth as it goes forth, to many a heart in this hour, for the sake of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.
0: The Lord does not want you to wander in a desert of discouragement, spiritual dryness, and failure. Through Christ, you can enjoy a daily walk of life, peace, and intimacy with God. We hope you have benefited from today's message by Dr. Barnhouse entitled, Life and Peace. Now You can listen to additional teaching by the late Dr. Donald Gray Barnhouse via the internet by visiting us at Alliancenet.org. An audio copy of today's teaching is available by calling toll-free 1-800-488-1888. Today's message again is entitled, Life and Peace. Or simply ask for message number R8-11. We would also like to make available to you a free copy of our booklet entitled, Tragedy or Triumph. Our lives are often shaken by devastating tragedy, and yet we can look back later and see how God brought forth glorious triumph from tragic circumstances for our benefit and His glory. This free booklet contains six favorite sermons by Dr. Barnhouse, including Tragedy or Triumph, Who Died at Calvary, Oil and Wine, Salted with Fire, The Scales of God, and Falling into Grace. These messages will encourage, challenge, and uplift you. Ask for your free copy of Tragedy or Triumph when you call a rite. Dr. Barnhouse and the Bible is a radio ministry of the Alliance of Confessing Evangelicals headquartered in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. We exist to promote a biblical understanding and worldview. Drawing upon the insight and wisdom of Reformation theologians from decades and even centuries gone by, we seek to provide contemporary Christian teaching materials which will equip believers to understand and meet the challenges and opportunities of our time and place. Dr. Barnhouse and the Bible comes to you through the generous gifts of our listeners. If you've benefited from this broadcast and would like it to continue, please prayerfully consider a donation to help us keep this ministry on the air. For more information or to make a contribution to support and further our work, please contact us by writing Alliance of Confessing Evangelicals, Box 2000, Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, 19103. Call toll-free 1-800-488-1888 or visit us online at Alliancenet.org. Be sure to ask for a free updated resource catalog featuring books, audio teachings, commentaries, booklets, daily devotionals, videos, and a wealth of other materials from outstanding Reformed teachers and theologians including Donald Gray Barnhouse, James Montgomery Boyce, Michael Horton, and Martin Lloyd-Jones. Then join us again next time for more classic teaching on Dr. Barnhouse and the Bible.